I'm going to be talking, as you see the title, keep it simple, uh, maybe because that's all I'm capable of doing, kind of simple-minded, but uh, this was just really something that's been working on me, and when this opportunity came up, I wanted to do it. Uh, I'm going to start off with a history lesson, because, you know, I like to do that, but a uh, little history in Christianity uh, about the Nicene Creed, which I know some of you know what that is. It'll be familiar to you if you didn't know the name, but about 1,700 years ago, uh, the church, you know, we're just talking 300 years after Jesus' ascension. The church was in disarray. The church was growing exponentially fast. It's almost, it's unbelievable how the church grew so quickly. It's proof of its existence, frankly. It's proof of God's being real. But the church was in disarray because we're trying to start Christianity, and we can understand why they were having so much trouble uh, in the early days because keep in mind at this time, Christianity was illegal. You know, the Roman Empire controlled this whole region that was spreading. It was illegal to be a Christian. Many of them were persecuted. Uh, they might be killed for practicing Christianity. So they're meeting in basements and caves and out in the woods where they couldn't be caught. And when we have this going on, uh, it led to a lot of differences immediately. You know, you think we have a lot of congregations now. Well, back then, there weren't congregations, but it was so fragmented. Uh, you also have to understand the Bible didn't exist at that point. And that's hard for us to imagine, really. But, you know, the first canonization of the Bible, the, the bringing together of the 66 books, the 27 books of the New Testament, they didn't have that. You know, they, they had nothing to refer back to. So you imagine, what did this church have? You know, we can go to Dollar General and buy a Bible for five bucks. You know, it's, it's pretty easy for us to get a hold of one. We can get it on our phone for free. They didn't have it at all. What they probably had, I'm just guessing, they probably had uh, maybe one or two of the Gospels in writing, maybe a couple of Paul's letters, maybe one of John's letters, depending on where they were located or where the, uh, the, how their church was planted and by whom. So it's ripe for trouble when you have men deciding what gets put in front of people. You know, the, we have the flesh. So when that starts to happen, you have men that are leading people to men as opposed to leading them to Christ. You start having fables. You start having explanations for all the different things. Uh, they're creating religious rules. They're mixing fables with truth. So the earliest church leaders at this time called together a council. Not quite sure how they decided who came to this. But they had a council, and they said, you know what? We're going to come together, and we're going to figure out a way to keep it simple. We're going to try to figure out a way to say that if you are a Christian, you have these simple beliefs. You have these core beliefs if you want to have what you're calling a church. You have to have the ultimate basics down or essentially you're not practicing Christianity. So this group came together, they met, and they came up with the most fundamental, the most basic structure to define who are we as Christians and what do we believe. And I'm going to read it for you. Uh, it says, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of all things, visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth, who because of us men, and because of our salvation, he came down, he became incarnate, and he became man. And he suffered, and he rose again on the third day. 
and he ascended to the heavens, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Spirit. Depending on what translation they do, they're very similar. You know, a lot of uh, congregational churches still recite this and everything. So it was recorded. It was taken back to the local churches. They said, regardless of what materials you have, you have this. This is home base. This is the simplest form we can break it down. It is the blueprint. It by no means is everything. It's not all of Scripture, and we're not trying to say it is. We're not trying to say you can't learn beyond this. But what we're saying is if you don't have this, you're off base. If you don't have this, everything else you're trying to teach doesn't matter. If you don't have this, everything else you're trying to say is irrelevant. So, today, I'm bringing a message about getting to our core beliefs. To focus on the heart of our belief system. To have things that we can come back to when we feel we have to maybe recenter our lives. I'm not going to try to rewrite the Nicene Creed. Don't worry. That's way above my pay scale. But I do want to focus on what really matters to us. You know, God put this message on my heart. He really did. It, probably a few months ago, I started playing with this, thinking at some point in time, I'll talk to men's breakfast or something. This is just something that meant so much to me. And I think he probably put it on my heart because he was correcting me, which is, I think, what usually happens. Uh, I think it was a correction for me. I don't know if it needs to be for you, but I have the microphone today, so you're going to hear it. <laughs> it's, uh, it. It's something that he's talking to me, and it's because of the way my mind works, the way my head works. I, uh, I, I read the Bible daily. Drew mentioned earlier, some days it's hard, and that's, I'm going to refer to that a little bit, because some days it's not as simple. And I'm guilty of this. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I get into uh, almost an academic study of it, instead of a spiritual study of it. You know, sometimes I get into the details, and I can read, and it's like, wow, I read this in 1 Corinthians, and this is really neat, but boy, that makes me think back to Acts. And I think in Acts, they're referring to the prophet Jeremiah. And But wait a minute, that contradicts what First John said. And I can get down these rabbit holes and I can get kind of caught up and confused. Okay, like In an attempt to try to grow and learn more, I've actually strayed away from the central truth. At the end of that type of exercise in my head, I'm actually farther away from God at the end of that morning of reading. Because I got away from some simple truths. I've actually taken something and made it very complicated, when in reality it was very, very simple. I'm sure none of you do that, but that's my issue, and that's why God put this on me. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give three, three simple tenets, three simple core beliefs in our, in our faith, three simple truths that are in his word, three instructions that in each of these cases, Jesus himself spoke these. If you have one of those red letter editions, these are all in red, the things we're going to talk about today. Jesus broke these down for us. The three core tenets of our faith, and, and they can be a safe haven that we return to. When you are having trouble with something, when we need to feel safe, when we need to feel secure, when we need to find peace, you know, when we read to recenter yourself. I like that word recenter. I think about being in a boat. You know, if you're ever in a canoe and storm comes and there's waves, you get to the middle. You know, you're not looking over the side to see what's going on. It's like, I need to get back to where I feel safe and secure. I need to have one caveat here. 
please don't misinterpret this. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to learn and grow. You know, the Bible's a big book. There's 66 books in there, a lot of words, a lot of instructions. I want you to learn them all. But there's some simple ones that I think you should always come back to and never stray from in an effort to get to those. We should always strive to grow, to learn, to better understand. We want to claim what's available to us, right? There's some pretty neat things available to us in his word. We want that more. We want that abundance. We want all parts of it. Our pastor does a good job of teaching in depth. He really does. With clarity, with understanding, it's a strength of his. And that is extremely important. But it all works off of the center. It all works off of some central things that we need to know. Because without a strong core, without that strong base, without that that we can always count on, what do we really have? You know, the more complex we get, the more confused we can sometimes get. And we always have to get back to the fundamentals. Uh, fundamentals, it reminds me, I like, I coach, I've probably coached sports for 25 years, different things. And as coaches, one of the things we're always doing is fundamentals, right? You know, it's like when you teach somebody to do an event, like I love the long jump in track and field. So if I teach somebody to long jump, I don't say, okay, go down to the end of the runway, run as fast as you can, jump and land in the sand. I didn't teach them anything. That's what the long jump looks like. But I'm down here saying, okay, here's where we're going to start. When you get to the board, this happens right here. And here's how we got there. And here's the step before that. Here's the step after that. You know, we break it down to something that is understandable. I had an experience uh, on that coaching example. I had an experience once where I was coaching football at a school. It was my first year there, and they were a really, really good team. I was up in Clear Lake, Iowa. And I, I fall into this, because, and they are, I'm the newest guy on the staff. I know the least. And these guys are playing chess, not checkers. I mean, it is, I thought I understood the game. And then I hung out with these coaches, like, man, I'm an idiot. I need to learn a little bit so I can keep up with them. And we get all the way to the state finals. So we win 12 consecutive games. We're through the playoffs. They were so good in the semifinals, we were up 35 zip at the start of the third quarter. Like, this is a really, really good team. This is a team that's doing calculus. You know, they're doing calculus, not simple arithmetic. So we prepare for the last game, the state championship game. We're playing Harlan, which is, you know, the storied program of Iowa. I think at the time they were playing in their 12th state title game. It was our first for all of us. So as coaches, that whole week, I mean, the amount of film we watched and break down and we prepare. If Harlan does this, we do this. If we do this, Harlan's going to do this. So then we're going to have to do this. You know, this is going to adjust. It can be a very, very complicated game. So we get to the last practice of the season. Last practice. We're sitting in the coach's office, the eight of us, and the head coach always hands out a schedule. It's like, here's what we're going to do today. Here's a schedule of order. The first 20 or 30 minutes of the practice, he had us get a partner, had the kids get a partner, line up across from him. And those of you that have ever been around football know what I'm going to do here. Okay, move your head to the side, put your shoulder into him, Step in, wrap him up, and lift him up. It was like we'd start a fourth-grade football season. That's what we did the night before preparing for the state title. Now, we were doing things that were very complicated, but the coach said, if we don't block and tackle well, everything we've prepared for is worthless. Make sense? 
Like when you're doing calculus, if you don't do the simple arithmetic right, it doesn't matter what you know about calculus. You had to still do the math right. We have to have our basics down as Christians. We have to have fundamentals or as we get into more more complex, <clears throat> excuse me, more confusing topics within it. And there's confusing things in the Bible, right? I mean, there's, there's things I don't quite understand. I will someday. But if we don't have the basics down, none of that matters. It's all irrelevant. So the first thing we have to do, and we're going to be in John chapter 3 here, the absolute first tenet we have as Christians, it's very simple. He says, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be saved. You must know Jesus. You must have asked for forgiveness. You have to, I don't care how you word it. I think most of you in this room know what I'm trying to say here. You have to accept Jesus as your personal savior. You must be born again. John chapter three, starting in verse one. I'm going to read 18 verses here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God because nobody can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Are you a leader of Israel and you did not know these things? I like how he says that. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak that we know and we testify that we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And when you're reading this passage, never stop there. Always read chapter eight, or verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, today's message, as I said, it's about not overcomplicating things. It's about striking to the core. And that's what Jesus does in this conversation. It's why I read all 18 verses. I love what Jesus does here. You know, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. You know, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. These were the uh, kind of the rulers of the Jews. They were almost like the lawyers. They were the legal experts on the law in the Old Testament for the first five books. These were the experts that you go to. So Nicodemus knows scriptures better than anybody that's in here. Okay, He is an expert on it, and he wants to talk to Jesus about these things. I- I'm guessing that he wants to know about, are, you know, are you who the prophets spoke about? 
He wants to answer these questions because he does recognize that Jesus is doing some pretty amazing things. So he's like, we're going to have a conversation. But no matter how deep he wants to get into it, as he asks Jesus these questions, Jesus steers it another direction. Jesus is kind of the master of moving conversations. If you ever read any of the Gospels, and the way Jesus spins a conversation where he wants it, he's a master of it. I love it. So Nicodemus asks a hard question. He's like, look, you got to be born again. That's the heart of this, Nicodemus. Yeah, we're not going to talk about all these things. You're wanting to talk about heavenly things. You don't even get what you're seeing on earth. Keep it simple. You must be born again. And we ask, well, how can that be? He gets into the details, and that's where he gets to John 3.16, which I'm sure is the most quoted Bible verse ever. And it should be, because Jesus kind of can break it down to him. He's like, God, what don't you get about this? <laughs> He's saying, like, you're making this way too hard. I need you to believe in the Son of God, or that's it for you. You're condemned already. It is the first core message of my little lesson today of the three things I'm going to do it for the same reason that Jesus brought it back to that. Because for all of us and anything we ever hear when we're in this building or in this book or when we're speaking in the Christian world, if you don't have that, if you don't have salvation, what does the rest of this mean? And if you can't always understand that core and always be able to go back to this and understand that that's the heart of everything, if you don't have that, some of the more complex things we try to learn, they're simply not for you. You want healing? You want to learn more depth about giving? You want to experience his miracles? You want to know about the blessings? You want to have a good understanding of the Holy Spirit? What well, all starts here. It all starts right there, what Jesus said. Now, even if you already know that, I think there's some value in going back to that. I think there's value in going back and doing the simplest tackling drills the night before the state title game. I think there's a value in us revisiting things. I know that I can always come back to this truth in my spiritual walk, no matter what's going on in my life. Uh, Drew's talk earlier, it, it wasn't stealing my thunder. It matched this. That some days it's not so easy, is it? Anybody have struggles in life? Anybody ever get frustrated? I get frustrated with the book sometimes. I'm reading the Bible and I get frustrated. I get frustrated. Have you ever asked God why? Why? And there's th things that come at us in this life that come so hard. And I was like, why? Why is my granddaughter disabled? Why does my friend have cancer? Why did those good people die in a tornado? Why? I can't answer those today. But I know this, and it's about these core tenets. John chapter 3 is for me. I hope you all have one. That's mine. I don't know that I'm capable of going back and reading that without a smile coming across my face. I've got that. I've always got that. There's a storm happening. I got that. I get confused with the topic. Man, I got that. I can read John chapter 3. I got that. I am born again. I got that. I know that I've got that truth. God loved me a sinner that deserved not good stuff. A sinner that's done unspeakable things, had terrible thoughts. 
terrible acts, whatever it is. And he loved me so much that he came and he paid off my debt. I've always got that. And I'll forever come back to that. All right. Enough of that because it started to make my eyes sweat or something. These lights. Core belief number two. Second thing I want to talk about today. We're just going to read the scripture. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22 and starting on verse 34. But when the Pharisees, them again, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. All right. Second thing I think we have to have. Second thing that's within our creed that we have to understand. First, you have to be saved. And second, you have to love like this. And this one slaps me in the face a little bit because, man, I fall short on that. I fall short on that. You know, the Pharisees... Talking about them again, we said they're the experts. These are the legal and scriptural experts. They're trying to be. They're busy trying to catch Jesus in a uh, in a lie. They're trying to get him to blaspheme himself. They're trying to catch him in a trap because they don't like what's going on. People are starting to follow him. Their gig is coming up, and they do it. But as always, he's a little bit too witty for them. You know, he comes back with an answer that they just have no way to even fight with. You know, on this whole commandment thing, they said, "What's the most important one?" We're all familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? And I don't mean the Charlton Heston movie, but the commandments in general. Well, most of you know this, but there's more than ten. You know, the ten, that's a great little thing that they etched in rock. But, you know, biblical scholars, I've never tried to count them, but they claim in the first five books of the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments given for what the Hebrews had to follow. 613. We're not talking New Testament here because it's not written yet. It's written about Jesus. They say that Jesus, I've never tried to do this either. There's over a thousand New Testament things that we're supposed to tell us how to live, command us how to do certain things. So over 1,600 commandments in the Bible, and Jesus, with no hesitation, says, yeah, but there's two. And all the other commandments hang on these. Everything comes back to this. When he's put on that spot, he whittles it down. And his answer to this question is the same context of really what I'm speaking about today. Yeah, but can we simplify it? You know, can we bring it back? Because when he answers, he gives a one-word answer. He says more than one word, but the one-word answer is love. Love. Love God, love other people. says the first one hangs on the second. It's love. Just simply love. Without love... None of these other 1,600, or even if you just want to say 10, none of these commandments matter. They were written for love. They were written because of love. They provide us a blueprint of love. That's what it is. When we were traveling last week, I was, uh, we were coming back from Nashville, and it, this whole message was already on my mind, and there was a billboard. Of course, Sean and Laney are asleep, so I'm just driving. And, uh, this billboard caught my eye, and it says, that thing that I said about love 
or that thing that I said about loving others, dot, 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 I meant that, signed God. I, I, I think I spent the next hour thinking about that sign. You know, he meant that. Like, well, do I do that? Do I live that? Do I show that? I mean, I get what he's saying. So I'll share a secret with you about me. And I know that this does not affect anybody else in this building. I know that you're all above this. You're all much better than that. But occasionally, I get frustrated with other human beings. (laughs) Not all human beings in general, but some. Sometimes I get frustrated with people. Sometimes my thoughts about them are not grounded in love. Sometimes how I act, I'm sure, is not grounded in love. Like I said, this was put on my heart because of me, is what these things are. My kids actually tease me. They say, man, you just don't like people. That's awful. My answer is always, no, I love people, my people, you know. That's not right. It, It isn't right, you know. You know, and I, we can all try to spin this. You know, Jesus says, love your neighbor is what he said. It's like, so I like my next door neighbor. He's a good guy. Like, we're good. That's not what he said. I mean, he did say neighbor, but it takes about one minute of research to see that he clarifies what that means. It's everybody, right? Specifically your enemies. Everybody. Now, I think it's pretty easy sometimes to say like, man, I love my family. Oh, I do. Man, there's nothing better. I love my church family. I love Knoxville. I love Iowa. I love the USA. Like, I'm patriotic. And that's one of the places I think that we start to fall into trouble with this whole discussion of love. I really think it is. Because, like, you realize that we're supposed to love Al-Qaeda also? And we're supposed to love the Russians after they attack Ukraine? And we're supposed to love the Japanese after they bomb Pearl Harbor? I mean, really, I think through this, the depth... I really don't think God cares a lot about our borders that we call countries. <laughs> he says love people. People. People everywhere. Even or especially your enemies. So that, that's one of our core tenets of faith. That I, I, it's the, last, the first one comes easier to me. This one I really have to work on. But the fact that when put on the spot by these people trying to persecute him, Jesus comes right to this one, boom, and hits it. It says, oh, by the way, this is the most important one. I was like, oh, for real? So I'm going to have to do something about that, right? Now, loving the Lord your God, I think that's also very important. Obviously, he lumps it together with this. Now, what does that look like? It might be easier for us. It's, it's more like that first one I had. It's about kind of like being saved, you know. How do we show God our love? Obedience. The Bible tells us that. We show God our love by obedience. We show it by following his commandments. Of which his commandment is, oh, by the way, love others. Wow, we're right back there again. (laughs) So I encourage you. Never mind, you guys didn't have that struggle like I do. I encourage me and anybody that might share that. Core tenet number two, our core belief number two is loving others. Loving others, loving our enemies, loving God. So let's get to the third one. Hopefully it's easier for me. 
We must share the truth of Jesus with others. That's really an extension of the second one. But I'm going to call it the third one. It's an extension because if you truly love others and you know what it means to be saved versus not being saved, being born again versus not yet being born again, then how can you not be sharing that with them? In Matthew 28, starting in 18, you know, the the great commission that comes, and Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Unfortunately, another area I fall short on sometimes. We all have great excuses, right? We all have reasons that we don't do this. Tell me if any of these are familiar. I don't know what to say. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too embarrassed to walk up to somebody and say that. I don't want to offend anyone, especially, and I especially like friends and family. Like, if I go up and witness to my golf buddy and he doesn't take it well, that's embarrassing. Now I've messed up that relationship. I'm not good at talking. Any of these ring a bell? I'm too scared. I'm too scared. I'm not bold enough to do that. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be called a Bible beater, a Jesus freak when I'm at school or when I'm in the office. I don't want to be known as the guy that when I'm walking down the street, people see me and they cross to the other side of the street. I don't want to be that guy. How about this one? I don't know the Bible well enough. Is anybody uncomfortable with sharing? Because you just don't know it well enough. I don't know what to say. Or that's not my job. That's pastor's job. That's Drew's job. That's Kate's job. That's what those guys do. You know what? We have missionaries that do it. I'm good. I put money in the collection plate. I know that our church gives to missionaries. So there, I did it. I spread the word. Do you think that's what he meant in the Great Commission? Or he might have wanted a little bit more out of us? Anybody's thoughts on that? Anybody share any of those? You know, another Nashville story when we were there. Uh, we're down in that Nashville downtown area, which I'd never been there. It's like a cross between Vegas and Bourbon Street or something, you know. Loud music and bright lights and live music everywhere. And it's just packed with people. It doesn't matter what time of day I was there. There are just people everywhere. But I love them, so that's okay. <laughs> and uh, there are some people set up on a street corner from a church, I assume. They were all men. And they had an impressive sound system. They really did to just be set up on the street. They weren't plugged in. Must have had incredible batteries. But they had a loud speaker. They had big speakers like you see here. This guy was up on a soapbox and uh, preaching the gospel. And, and he really, it wasn't done distasteful. It, it was very loud. It was pretty brash. And then he had a couple of guys with him handing out tracts or trying to get people's attention as they walked by. And you, have you ever seen this in an area like that, a tourist areas they'll set up? And, of course, most people that took the tracks just threw them on the ground and walked by. People almost gave them no 
no mind at all. And, you know, when I first saw them, my first thought, I'm ashamed of my first thought. I was like, man, what are they doing? And it took me about one second to say, well, a lot more than you are, you jerk. I mean, I, I don't know that that's my style or taste, but these guys were serving God right then. They really were. Just imagine that. That, that couldn't have been that easy for them to do. And they stood up there in front of however many tens of thousands of people, probably hundreds of thousands. The crowd's incredible. And with no embarrassment or no shame, spread the gospel. And you think, well, that can't be very effective. I don't know. They saw 100,000 people. What if one of them got saved? Because you know how many people I led to Jesus that day? Zero. I did nothing. I did nothing. And my first response was, wow, what are those guys doing? I caught myself. I was like, well, that's pretty cool what they're doing, actually, you know. Now, the next day, they were at the football game. They were setting up right outside the stadium when we walked to the stadium. And this, I just share this. It's, I thought they were pretty funny that day. They were clever. Because as I'm walking up, they had the speaker system, and this guy said, you're all losers unless you come to Jesus. I was like, that was awesome. Like, he got my attention. And uh, then he's like, you need to come to the winning team. And uh, right, right when he said that, I got to him. They handed me a track, and I said, man, I've been on that team since 96. Thank you. This is awesome what you're doing. I love it. And uh, so anyway, I, I don't know what sharing looks like for you. I, I do believe that God has all these different ways to spread his seed. I, I do believe we don't all have to get that fancy system and stand up at a football game and do this. I do believe we're not all pastors. We're not all going to be missionaries sent into the field. I know that we all have different things. But I do know this. We also all have something to share. And we're all given opportunities. And I think, I know that the Holy Spirit will be with you. So every... Every reason that you don't do it can be overcome with that. God will be in this game. And you know what? I, th- I think you're going to be uncomfortable. I spoke once and used this phrase. I'll use it again. I said, well, toughen up, buttercup. I mean, he never said everything's going to be easy. What he promised us is a comforter. What he promised us is a helper. What he promised us is somebody that would do it with you and be with you as you did it. But I don't think we can just simply ignore the command that he gave us after what he just did for us. So that is my third tenet. You know, we share the word for a variety of reasons. I think one of the most obvious is I just, well, he told us to, right? (laughs) He told us to. And we have to obey him. Whenever you share the word, it causes you to get in the word. I'm sure of that. I never grow more than when I'm asked to speak or help at a class. When I used to help Miss Lindy with breakfast clubs, like, man, that helped me more than it helped the kids. Because, you know, it forces you into the word. It forces you to prepare. So if you're going to share with people, it's going to help you grow is what it's going to do. It's going to deepen your walk with God. It's going to make you better. Think about this. It's going to protect your loved ones. Your loved ones are everybody. Remember, we already covered that. You guys were good on that, but you got to protect that. And most of all, when you think about, like, well, why do we have to share? Why should we share? Why is that my role to share? It goes back to the, the first two things I've talked about today. It, it all falls back to love. You know, if you love, you're going to do it. If you truly care about somebody's soul, you're going to do it. 
because you know what the alternative is. If you know that the salvation and the trust of the Lord that comes with that, you want other people to know about that, right? Like, I think we have this wonderful setup here. I love meeting in this church. I love my church family. And it's a comforting place to come. Well, other people would like this, too. Let's tell them about it. Might not be our church. That's fine. But they can find this type of relationship with other people, with fellow believers. But first, they have to know about God. And whose job is it to tell them about that? Yours. Mine. And whatever method works for you. The word can be shared in so many ways. I don't know what your method is. I don't always know what mine is. I've done it just enough to continue to be uncomfortable. But I haven't done it one hundredth of the times I should have. And those actually haunt me. There are opportunities I've had that later haunt me. It's like, man, why, how did I not say that then? How did I not speak up at the right time? So don't let those pass you by. You know, we have so many things going on in our lives. There's so many do. Like, like in my case, we all have a story of what we are. In my case, I own a small business where I give people investment advice. It, I stay pretty busy with that. I have a family with six kids and sons and daughters-in-laws and two perfect grandkids. I, I coach a couple sports at our middle school right now. I like to golf. I like to fish. I got a lot going on. I have a lot of positive things in my life. Important things in my life. Has anything I just listed, it pales in comparison to the importance of sharing the word. Those things are meaningless compared to sharing the word. They're not meaningless. They're meaningless when you compare them. We'd have no greater purpose on this earth than to serve him and let other people know about it. So... I'll start to close if you guys would uh, come up. Praise and worship can come back up. These three basic building blocks that we just talked about, about being saved, being born again, about loving others, and about sharing that good news with other people. You know, that is the building block upon which we build our lives. That is the basis. That's the simple arithmetic. That's the fundamental And that's what's going to lead to your expressions. That's what's going to lead to your growth in other areas. That's what's going to lead to your ability to fully get the abundance of everything that God has for you. You want healing? You had to have had these first. You want his blessings? You had to have had these first. You want the abundance? You had to have had these first. We have to start there and we'll build from there. So as we get into this new year... I'm purposing to focus back on the simple things, the simple rules that God has given me, the simple commandments that God has given me, because I believe when I do that, that's where the further growth is going to come from. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641 828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.